If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. The Rosary is one of the Catholic Church's most treasured prayers. Over the last 800 years, it has dramatically changed and strengthened lives. It's reformed the church. It's defended Christendom. It's guarded orthodoxy. It has converted the lost, comforted the suffering, taught the gospel. It's won battles, built the kingdom of God, and so, so much more. As well as being a powerful sacramental for personal and collective prayer, and devotion that draws us higher up and deeper into relationship with Christ. It is a highly effective tool for evangelism and apologetics, which I'll discuss further in some future episodes. And it's also the most misunderstood and thus distrusted by Protestants, because they believe that we must pray to God alone, or to God in Christ alone. And they assume that the Hail Mary is a prayer to Mary about Mary, and that this elevates her to being some sort of semi-pagan goddess, and that to pray the rosary amounts to a kind of pagan worship. Now, I know that that's what they think, because for most of my life, I was a Protestant, and that's what I was told and assumed and believed. So in this episode, I'm going to explain why this isn't true and why the Hail Mary isn't really about Mary at all. But first, let me tell you how I came to change my mind about the rosary. Protestants who become Catholics will often call the process of their conversion their road to Rome story. Now, the boundary line of the ancient city of Rome was the Tiber River. And so, the final step for anyone journeying to Rome was to cross the Tiber River into the city. Well, to follow that analogy, for converts to Catholicism, the last barrier that you personally have to overcome in order to embrace it is sort of like your own Tiber River. And when you intellectually or emotionally or spiritually make peace with whatever that aspect of Catholicism is, then you realize that you've crossed the Tiber. And in a sense, you've now accepted Roman Catholicism. Of course, there's still the process of entering the church, but now you know that you're ready to do that. Well, over a number of years, I had worked through, one by one, the major points of disagreement between Protestantism and Roman Catholicism. I came gradually to believe that when it came to issues of scripture or the sacraments or salvation or even church leadership in the papacy, Catholicism had the stronger argument. The English author G.K. Chesterton, who converted to Catholicism himself, was a huge influence on me through this period. Now, Chesterton wrote a famous essay called Why I Am a Catholic. And in it, he says that in the end, he became a Catholic because he came to believe that Catholicism was simply true. And that resonated very powerfully for me. And that was, that was really my story as well. 
And yet, the closer I got to Rome, the closer I got to my own personal Tiber River. And for me, and maybe for a lot of Protestants that are attracted to Catholicism, especially those who come out of a strong Lutheran or Calvinist background like I did, the Tiber was devotion to the Virgin Mary. That was frightening because it seemed to so completely violate every tenet of Protestantism and every fiber of my Protestant being fought against it. And of all of the Marian devotions, probably the most frightening was the rosary. Because I realized that once I picked up those beads and prayed a rosary, there would be no turning back. I would have crossed the Tiber and the bridge would have been barricaded behind me or or cut down behind me. I had been trained in a Calvinist seminary or ordained in a Calvinist denomination. I knew that once I picked up those beads and started saying Hail Marys, there would be no way to ever go back and pretend to be a Calvinist again. It was a one-way trip once I prayed my first Hail Mary with a rosary in my hand. So, around this time when I was thinking these thoughts, uh, whenever I would go downtown in the city I lived in, I'd drop by the cathedral. And next to the cathedral, there was a Catholic bookstore. And I'd, I'd go in and I'd wander around. I'm kind of anonymous. Nobody knew who I was there. I'd kind of keep my head down. Um, didn't really have to worry about any of my Protestant friends seeing me there, but, but I, I felt a little bit out of place. But over time, I began to feel gradually a little more comfortable. Anyway, I'd walk around and I'd look at books and I'd buy a couple. I, I even bought a crucifix because I'd sort of worked through the whole thing about the difference between a crucifix and the empty Protestant cross. But ah, the rosary. Well, you know, I, I would go over to the little section where they had the rosary beads and I would kind of look at them and I'd kind of think about it a little bit and I'd kind of like get a little scared and I'd turn around and go find some book about history, which was kind of more my wheelhouse or, or philosophy or doctrine or something. And, and maybe in the next visit, I'd kind of look at the rosary beads again and I kept kind of going back to them. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I knew that I, I, if I was going to get a rosary, I kept feeling like this, this prompt that I've, I've come this far, I'm at the edge of the Tiber, and then I, I knew I just sort of needed to, to sort of swim it, swim the Tiber, you know, to, to get over this, this, this barrier that I felt. Um, so at one point I decided if I was going to get a rosary, if I was going to buy rosary beads, they had to be uh, ones that didn't look too Catholic. Because a lot of the ones they had, you know, a lot of ones you see are really ornate. They've got, a, they're kind of, you know, glossy or they've got jewels or sparkles or, you know, all these kinds of like, you know, glass beads or something that they kind of look ornate. And, and some of them, honestly, I'm you know, kind of ashamed to admit this, but some look kind of girly. And I was like, well, if I'm going to get rosary beads, they need to be like kind of um, not too Catholic looking and they need to look kind of manly. So anyway, I, I kept going over to the beads and I, I finally saw this one set that was just simple black wooden beads on a, you know, on a string or a cord and with a little wooden crucifix that wasn't very ornate. And I thought it looked, it looked very, uh, you know, manly. It looked very, uh, uh, you know, plain, not very Catholic. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to do this, you know, baby steps, baby steps, I, that's the one. So anyway, like on my next visit to the bookstore, I, I summoned up the courage 
and I bought them. I took them, I took them up to the counter and showed them to the, you know, the clerk. And I was like, I want to buy these. And I was still a little bit kind of freaked out, a little weirded by it, but you know, they didn't care. They sold them to me and put them in a little bag. And anyway, I remember going out to my car and, um, and, and sitting in my car, I put them in the cup holder of my car. And I was like, okay, at some point I'm going to have to do this. Um, but I, I couldn't quite bring myself to do it yet. So I drove around for a few days, maybe even a week. I drove around with these rosary beads in the cup holder of my car. And I, I kept feeling this prompting. I prayed about it. But like at some point I've got to actually, you know, do this. Um, but one of the problems is I, I simply didn't know how. So uh, I wasn't sure. I mean, I'd read something about it, but I wasn't, you know, I was trying to do this new thing and it looked complicated. And what do I do with the beads and what do I say on each bead? So, so I actually was sitting in my car one day and I, I got my phone out and I, and I, um, I YouTubed how to pray the rosary. And, um, and I found like all these little videos, like how to pray the rosary that walked you through it on YouTube. And, and I also downloaded a cheat sheet into my iPhone and put it in my iPhone notes. And, uh, and then I kind of watched the video and I looked at the little cheat sheet and I thought about it some more. And then like another day or two went by and I kept staring at it, kept staring at it. I just kept looking at it and kind of, you know, biting my nails and not sure. And one day I was sitting, uh, in my car, I think in a parking lot after a meeting. And I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm just going to do it. And so I, uh, so I, I watched the YouTube one more time and I looked at the cheat sheet and I pulled out the little beads and sitting in that parking lot, I, I prayed my first Hail Mary and I prayed my first, uh, Hail Marys and I prayed my first rosary. And, um, uh, and I knew that I had swum the Tiber and, you know, it was a great day. Uh, you know, once I jumped into the Tiber river and I swam to the other side, I honestly, it was fantastic. I, I, I never looked back, never have never looked back, never regretted it, never questioned whether I should turn back and try to undo it or never felt bad about it. Honestly, praying that first, those first Hail Marys and praying that first rosary was, was transformational. Uh, it, it just it, it, yeah, it was redemptive and transformational. It changed my faith. It changed my relationship with Christ. It changed my understanding of scripture. Um, now understand that I'd been teaching Bible professionally for 25 or 30 years at that point. And I thought, you know, there's nothing that I don't know. I'd been taught to uh, read the uh, Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek. And, um, and what, what, what am I going to learn? But the rosary itself sort of transformed and, and the Hail Marys uh, and the rosary process sort of transformed my understanding of scripture such that I sort of look at scripture differently now than before I prayed the rosary for the first time sitting in my car that day. So how is that possible? Well, I, I think that that hesitation that I had, uh, that fear I had, and then the transformation, um, the sort of redemptive experience of crossing the Tiber is because I had misunderstood the rosary all along. Uh, I had misunderstood the Hail Mary. I thought it was a a superstitious prayer to the Virgin Mary in which she replaces Christ or at least gets between me and Christ. I mean, that's what I was taught as a Protestant. So what I'd like to do uh, in this episode is take on some Protestant misunderstandings about the Hail Mary and the Rosary and particularly the ones, the, the charges that it, it is, it is an, an unbiblical prayer, uh, that it misdirects honor and, and, and prayer that should properly go to Christ um, and, and gives it in properly to Mary. So l- let me dive into that. First of all, 
I just want to say this, you know, as loudly and clearly as I can. If, if there's anything that you listen to in this episode or you take away from this episode, it's this, that the Hail Mary isn't really about Mary at all. Mary is in the prayer, but it's not about Mary. She's not the point. It's all about Jesus Christ, the word of God incarnate, made flesh through Mary. And the entire prayer is deeply rooted in scripture. Let me show you. The Hail Mary has just four lines. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. That's line one. Line two. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Line three. Holy Mary, mother of God. Line four. Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So let's go through those four lines one at a time and take a closer look. Now, the first two lines are direct quotes from the New Testament Gospels. Look again at that first line. Hail Mary, full of grace. That is a direct quote from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 28. Go ahead, pull out your Bible, look it up, or pull out your smartphone. Luke, uh, Luke 1, verse 28. In it, the archangel Gabriel appears to Mary and says to her, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Now, I know, I know, I know. Protestants object to the word, that, the Greek word that gets translated as full of grace. They argue that it should be rendered in English something more like, Hail, highly favored one, or something like that. And, and they argue that Catholics changed the translation to support our Marian nonsense. But they get the direction of causality backwards. Catholics didn't change the word to fit our Marian doctrines. We developed our understanding of Mary based on that word. And it wasn't Catholics who changed it to suit our Marian theology, but Protestants who changed it to suit their understanding of Mary. This gets super complicated, but, but the Greek word in question is only used one time in the entire New Testament, and it's not really used outside of the New Testament much of either. So in a sense, it's sort of like a unique word, and you can't then look it up the other dozen times it's used to figure out its meaning in this context. Bible teachers and translators have looked at this word for 2,000 years. The early church, which spoke biblical Greek, all of them spoke biblical Greek, understood it as recognizing Mary's unique status as the vessel chosen for the incarnation. In order to minimize Mary's role in the incarnation, Protestants have downplayed the significance of the Archangel Gabriel's greeting in Luke 128. Now, as I said, I studied Greek in college and seminary, and I'm not going to get into all of the Greek translation issues and arguments. The point that I want to make here is that the first line of the Hail Mary is a direct quote of Gabriel's words according to the ancient understanding of the Greek text by the Greek-speaking church of the first few centuries. Now, the reason that Gabriel greets her by calling her full of grace or favored by God or however you want to translate it is because she is the chosen instrument of the incarnation not because she is a pagan goddess or demigod or whatever slander Protestants lodge against historic Catholic Christianity. The translation argument actually misses the entire point of the line. 
Gabriel is announcing what was called in Hebrew, Emmanuel. God was coming to dwell among us. When we say the first line of the Hail Mary, we are recalling the announcement by a messenger directly from the throne of the Father that the King is about to arrive. The line is really not about Mary. It's about the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of Israel and all creation and the announcement of his coming. The second line of the Hail Mary is, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Now, once again, this is another direct quote from the New Testament Gospels. And on this one, there are no translation controversies here between Catholic and Protestant Bibles. That's what Mary's cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist at the time, says to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 42. Again, look it up. After the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and she conceives the Christ, she travels from Nazareth to visit Elizabeth in the hill country near Jerusalem. And as she enters the courtyard of Elizabeth's house, the, the infant John dances in Elizabeth's womb, the way that King David danced before the Ark of the Covenant as it passed through that exact area on its way into Jerusalem in the Old Testament. Again, go ahead, look it up. Luke 1.42. In fact, the Bible says that Elizabeth called it out in a loud voice. You see, John the prophet whose mission it was to announce the coming of the king, dances before the Ark of the New Covenant Mary that contains the incarnate Word of God in her womb. So, the first half of the Hail Mary consists of direct biblical quotes from an archangel and a hero of the faith. And their point is not to elevate Mary, but to acknowledge and joyfully celebrate the incarnation and arrival of the Christ through her. So, those are the first two of the four lines of the Hail Mary prayer, and both of them point to Jesus. And then, right at the center of the prayer, after line two and before line three, we have the name of Jesus. Elizabeth's quote stopped after the phrase, fruit of thy womb, because she didn't know the baby's name yet. But the Hail Mary adds it so that it connects the two halves of the prayer like a, like a hinge. The name of Jesus is the hinge of the prayer. So, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. In the third line, Holy Mary, Mother of God, we call Mary holy. Understand that the word holy literally means sanctified or set apart for service to God. Look, if anyone in the Bible was ever set apart for unique service to God, it was Mary. Among all of humanity, only she was called to be the vessel of the incarnation. It was she who contributed the lamb for the sacrifice. When Jesus was scourged by Pilate and crucified, the blood that flowed from his wounds and that washes our sins had her DNA in it. The Father gave his Son to be our Savior, but so did Mary. Moses may have parted the Red Sea. David may have slain Goliath. Jonah may have preached to Nineveh. 
And Paul may have written epistles to the churches of his day that were gathered and form a big chunk of the New Testament. But no one in human history played the uniquely holy role in our salvation that Mary did. And that's why we call her holy. We then call her mother of God. I do not have time to unpack this fully. So let me just point out that this term, theotokos in Greek, was given to Mary by the Council of Ephesus in modern-day Turkey, in 431 AD. And by the way, the city of Ephesus, yes, the, 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 the city that Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians to. Now, at the time, the church still spoke Greek, not Latin. So this was not a Roman Catholic doctrine, but a doctrine declared by the ancient church to combat heresies that minimized, not Mary, but minimized the nature of Christ. To say that he was fully God and not divided into two natures, a God nature and a man nature. Now, I'll probably do an entire episode on this topic at some point. And it's something of a rabbit hole here because the various Protestant reformers made very ambiguous statements about it. But again, let's keep the point in mind. The whole point of calling her mother or bearer of God is not, nor was it for the ancient church, to elevate Mary but rather to preserve the truth that the child born from her womb was, in fact, fully God as well as fully man. Again, the focus of this line seems to be on Mary, but it's really about Jesus. Well, now we've gotten through the first three of the four lines of the Hail Mary, and we haven't asked her for anything yet. This is not a prayer honoring or supplicating, you know, to Mary for favors. But in the last line, we finally get to the ask. And what is it that we ask her for? To bless us, to empower us, to shower us with favors, to grant us health or wealth or vanquish our enemies? Nope. We ask her simply this. Pray for us sinners. Now and at the hour of our death. That's it. We ask Mary, the mother of Jesus, to pray for us, to intercede with her son for us, who who are sinners today and at the hour when we go to meet him. That's all we ask of her in the Hail Mary, which gives him the ability to judge us or admit us into heaven, not her. So, so to summarize, the Hail Mary acknowledges who she is by directly quoting the biblical announcements of the coming of the Messiah. It has the name of Jesus at its center. It acknowledges the historic Christian teaching about the incarnation through her. It acknowledges our sinfulness. And it asks her to intercede on our behalf to him. And, and that's it. It doesn't mean that Catholics don't pray directly to God. I mean, that's just simply factually untrue. Almost all Catholic prayers, beginning with the Our Father, or as Protestants call it, the Lord's Prayer, or the Glory Be, are all directed to God. But in this prayer, we ask her to add her voice to ours. For as she showed at the wedding at Cana, he listens to his mother. Now, when I took the time to realize that, it was the first uniquely Catholic prayer that I ever prayed to a saint, to St. Mary. And I don't think that a day has passed then when I haven't prayed it, asking her to pray for this poor sinner. 
But what about the rosary, this collection of Hail Marys? Well, it too is entirely about Jesus. And don't take my word for it. St. John Paul II, in an apostolic letter issued in 2002 titled Rosarium Virginis Mariae, or the Rosary of the Virgin Mary, said this, The rosary, though clearly Marian in character, is at heart a Christocentric prayer. In the sobriety of its elements, it has all the depth of the gospel message in its entirety, of which it can be said to be a compendium. It is an echo of the prayer of Mary, her perennial magnificat for the work of the redemptive incarnation which began in her virginal womb. With the rosary, the Christian people sit at the school of Mary and are led to contemplate the beauty on the face of Christ and to experience the depths of his love. Through the rosary, the faithful receive abundant grace, as though from the very hands of the mother of the Redeemer. To recite the rosary is nothing other than to contemplate with Mary the face of Christ. You see, the rosary is not about Mary at all. It's, it's all about Christ. But it allows us as disciples and followers of Christ to sit with and see him through the eyes of the first and greatest of his disciples, his own mother. To see Christ from the perspective of the one who knew him best from she who was the instrument of the incarnation. John Paul II continued, But the most important reason for strongly encouraging the practice of the rosary is that it represents a most effective means of fostering among the faithful that commitment to the contemplation of the Christian mystery as a genuine training in holiness. What is needed is a Christian life distinguished above all in the art of prayer. Inasmuch as contemporary culture, even amid so many indications to the contrary, has witnessed the flowering of a new call for spirituality due also to the influence of other religions, it is more urgent than ever that our Christian communities should become genuine schools of prayer. Well, now I've told you why the rosary is important, but I haven't unpacked the history or the structure or the use of the rosary. And that's going to take a little more time than I have left in this episode. So we'll have to wait for another episode. But in the meantime, consider praying a Hail Mary. If you're on your own road to Rome, it might just take you a step or two closer. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? and please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com and email me to let me know what you think, greg at consideringcatholicism.com.